0: Hello, podcast listener. This is Marin Lauka, the owner of YesAnd, and your alignment coach here to guide you to greater authentic alignment in your career, your relationship, and your lifestyle so that you can experience true success. What you are about to listen to is a replay of my weekly spark, which is a live video, a mini workshop training that I do every single Tuesday. You can always catch the video version on YouTube or Instagram. Otherwise, enjoy listening to the audio and I will see you again next week. All right. So we are recording. I'm very excited to have you here today. Dr. Patricia Thompson is here with myself, Maren Lauka of YesAnd. And and today, if you're a listener, we are going to be talking about how to define success and how that definition impacts your reality. We're talking about what results you can expect from a positive approach to work, and then what it means to be an authentic leader, whether that's in an organization or a leader for yourself. So today we're bringing on Dr. Patricia Thompson, who is from Silver Lining Psychology, working as a corporate psychologist and management consulting. And Dr. Patricia, would you introduce yourself for anyone who may not know who you are or what you do? Yeah,
1: so um, as you said, I am a corporate psychologist. And basically what that means is that I work primarily with companies and the leaders within them, um, helping them to do all things people related, but basically get the best out of people through using the science of psychology and positive psychology specifically. And so that means executive coaching, uh, team building, sometimes doing assessments if they're trying to hire for high-level positions, and basically just really focusing on work culture to allow people to perform at their best.
0: Amazing, and I have a master 's degree in positive psychology, and so I love that this is our connection here. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about your background specifically of positive psych and, and how that came to be involved in your work and in your practice, your own personal approach as well?
1: Yeah, so actually, um, my PhD is in clinical psychology um, and you know, as I was getting my degree, there was a lot of elements of positive psychology, I guess, that were in the training that I did, Um, but it wasn't strictly a positive psychology approach. Um, And after I got my um, PhD, I actually fell into consulting. So I originally thought I was gonna be a therapist and just kind of by happenstance, it's a long story, um, uh, which I won't get into. I, I fell into consulting straight out of grad school and decided to go that route. And um, I've actually found the transition to be a little bit of a culture shock, just because the firm that I was with um, was more about being really tough-minded and you know, kind of looking for, I wouldn't say the worst in people, but the kind of the developmental opportunities and really honing in on that and not giving people a lot of grace. And so I found that to be not only a culture shock, but I guess kind of a disconnect in terms of my own view of the world. Um, And so I actually just started doing a lot more research and work in positive psychology on my own. And then eventually got the courage to leave the firm that I was with to go and do my own thing, kind of the way that I wanted to do it in the way that I felt was conceptually a fit for me. So that's kind of how it worked on my end.
0: Amazing. And congratulations for taking that leap. It is always a little bit scary (laughs) to do. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, And I definitely resonate with your, just how yes, positive psych is like a field in and of itself. And it tends to be, I found at least certain people are just drawn to that approach more than others. So there's, uh, at least in my program, we refer to it as psychology as usual, traditional psychology, which is problem solving. So the problem's already there. You're looking for a problem to solve. Whereas positive psychology, it's like you said, looking for where are things going right and how can we utilize that rather than looking for a problem from the get-go. So I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation today. Um, and I want to start with... Um, on your website, you, you say you work with ambitious professionals who want to achieve success the right way. And maybe this is lumped together with this idea of positive psychology. I'm wondering what your definition or what you've seen the people you work with, their definition of the right way of success looks like.
1: Yeah. So I think that a lot of people in management can have, um, I guess somewhat a stereotype of what it means to be a good leader, and I think a lot of that is based on antiquated notions that, you know, you have to be tough minded or, you know, if you're too kind to people, they're going to take advantage of it or, um, you know, you kind of have to use the stick more than the carrot in terms of actually getting them to perform at their best. And um, it is an antiquated notion because a lot of the research basically suggests that that's not the way that you work. That's how you get people who are less engaged and who are less satisfied. And so really, you know, what I like to do is show people that there's another way, but also present a lot of research to build the case just because I find that a lot of people in leadership need that empirical data to actually trust that it's true and that it can actually work. Um, and then show them that there's a different way to really engage people and get them excited. And, um, you know, I find particularly for leaders who are already kind of trend in that direction, in terms of those interests, they can find it to be really validating and to, and to know that, you know, kind of my instincts in terms of how to interact with people are right. And um, then they get good results. And I would say that ones that take a little bit more coaxing, once they try out some of these approaches, they see that it's so much better. It feels better for them. It feels better for the people who approach them and who they manage. Um, And so I I find it's kind of a win-win all around because everybody just feels better with that kind of an approach.
0: Yeah. And that that balance that you speak to of it's intuitive in a way, it feels much better, but also there's research to back it. And I've definitely um, come up against a similar idea of like, even if it feels good, even if we have this intuitive sense of like, I think this would be a better approach, it's still reassuring to have also it 's backed by research <laughs> that this is uh, this way works, and you know we 're not going to go down because we adopt a new approach that isn 't what we have been doing forever and in fact, as you suggested, um, it, it actually enhances business and makes everything better
1: <laughs> right and i think I think the mistake that a lot of people make or the misconception they have is that if you take a positive approach, it means that you're never giving anyone feedback or you're not holding people accountable and all of that. And that's not what it is. It's just, you're doing it in a way where you're maintaining the dignity of the individual and it's more focused towards growth than again, punishment or trying to do things in a negative way.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. In my own practice in coaching, um, so a similar idea of it's not that we're ignoring the negative, the quote, negative emotions or the negative um, experiences and feelings. It's rather that we're having a compassionate relationship with them and utilizing them as opposed to suppressing them. So right. absolutely, it's, it's an incorporation of, and I think that's a, that's a common misconception of positive psychology. Mm-hmm. Which is understandable because it's called positive psychology. So right. we think of like laughing and smiling, and it's all like rainbows and butterflies, and it's all good. Yeah. Um, and yes, sometimes. And it's this idea of holistic well being and bringing in all these aspects, whether it's like you said, feedback and improvement and strategy um, and like the negative experiences and leaning into those and utilizing them.
1: Right. Absolutely. Building resilience and all of that stuff. Yes.
0: Yes. So another question I have for you uh, has to do, we've already kind of touched on this, but to dive in even a little bit deeper, is the type of resistance you may experience, I'm taking an assumption here that there is some resistance to this approach, Mm -hmm. Um, what's a common roadblock that you find when you introduce these new pathways, um, and how do you go about addressing those?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I guess one is, like I said, just misconceptions that people have about what's an approach to leadership that works. And so I usually present data for that. I think um, sometimes I'll work with some drivers who are very impatient and they basically might feel like, I don't have time for all that touchy feely stuff. Like, you know, people come here to work. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not a babysitter. And, um, you know, my, I guess retort to that is that, well, as long as you're working with people, you have to care about how the people who work for you feel. People are not robots. They have their individual psychologies and motivations and drivers. And so this is going to help you to get better results by maybe slowing down and paying attention to the human element.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, you know, for people who aren't, I guess, like quote unquote, wired that way, um, it can still take some, I guess, convincing, but I usually just encourage doing little experiments or trying it out. Or even thinking about, you know, if they had a boss who they really appreciated, what was that person like? Mm-hmm. And it usually wasn't the hard driving boss who didn't care about people. It was usually someone who took an interest in them and was really focused on their growth. And so I think when they can kind of reflect on those sorts of things, it makes them at least um, suspend their disbelief enough to be willing to try mm-hmm. and and just see what happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so there's that, there's the kind of surface notion of I'm not going to take a new approach. I'm just like, that's not how I think it works. Um, and then two other things that stood out to me in that explanation, obviously you've encountered this a few times (laughs) is I don't have time and this touchy feely stuff. So can you talk more specifically about those two. I don't have time. Is that coming from like being too busy, like not, not feeling like there's enough time or just not valuing the thing that you're bringing in or maybe a combination of both. And then this idea of the touchy feely, what, what is the undercurrent of that idea?
1: Yeah. So I think that the time element is, as you pointed out, probably a combination of both, both just having a lot on their plate. And as they think about priorities, Um, you know what's most tangible is checking an individual item off their to-do list and so if you're focusing more on the interpersonal element there's not the same tangible immediate gratification that you get from it Um, and so a lot of that just has to do with sort of building the case in terms of the investment across time and um, you know one of the things that can sometimes be helpful is just talking about how as a leader your job is to develop people and to really create a high-performing team. And you're not gonna create a high-performing team if you're only focused on the short-term tasks Mm -hmm. and not the long-term investment of developing people. And so sometimes that can be enough to get them on board in in terms of being more motivated to try it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the touchy-feely element, I mean, I think there are always some people who are just not gonna be interested in it because of the touchy-feely element. Um, But, you know, one of the things that I think people do hear more about in the business world is emotional intelligence and the benefits of that. And so I think if you can tie it to something that people are familiar with, and if you can give them examples of like, you know, what good emotional intelligence looks like, I guess, versus low emotional intelligence. Then again, it's something that's a little bit more tangible um, where you can talk about, you know, this will help you to get potentially better results. This will help you to be a better influencer of people. This will help you to be a better leader. And I think just making it as tangible as possible is, you know, helpful. But but I will say, like, there are always some people who are just sort of gritting their teeth as they're having to deal with the touchy-feely element. And, you know, it is what it is.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And there is something to be said for we all have our different strengths and interests. And mm-hmm. um, potentially, and I, I feel like this is starting to shift, but potentially, who tends to be at least currently in a leadership role is someone who may have interests and strengths that's not associated with touchy-feely. Again, I hope that that is shifting. Mm -hmm. Um, But historically speaking, I've I've seen that as the case. And so like you said, there may just be that this isn't like the most exciting thing to go into, exciting thing to dive into. And I think the common theme in how we're addressing all of these different roadblocks. And this is for all of us and ourselves included when we feel a roadblock to diving into the touchy feeling for going the positive route instead of the negative route is, is tangibility. When we have the research, when we have, even you gave the example of think of a time, like what leader have you been under? Have you followed that you've really appreciated? And that's making it tangible by bringing in our own experience and feeling it like literally (laughs) tangible. Yeah. Um, or the research or the data or you know talking about long-term time versus short-term payoff mm-hmm. um, yeah tangible seems to be a, a good theme
1: yeah and I think also just um, small steps so take it as an experiment and if you don't like it like you couldn't go back to the way that you did things before but at least just try it out before you throw it out and decide that it's not an approach that you want to take
0: absolutely you and I yeah. speak the same language. That experiment <laughs> term is what I use all the time. Uh-huh. It, it like puts down the barriers and it helps us realize, okay, after, you know, give ourselves a time stamp. After three months or after whatever, if this really isn't working, then we can go back to how things were. And then it, it sets the ease in that part of us that's still gripping for whatever the historic status quo was. Um, mm-hmm. To be like, we can go back. It's always an option. We can go back. And right. right now, there is some evidence to suggest that this may be a really good option for us moving forward. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, last question actually for the day. Um, Second to last, I lied, second to last. (laughs) So you say one of your aims is being an authentic leader who inspires others. So how do you bring authenticity into the workplace? Um, And then how do you yourself adopt authenticity with your own practice and approach?
1: Yeah, so this question of authenticity in the workplace, I find is an interesting one because I think that a lot of people can find it to be a little bit scary. Um, And I think that there are really multiple factors that affect how willing people are to be authentic. I mean, I think part of it is just your personality. Some people are more private or guarded than others. And so that's an aspect of it. Um, But I also think that the environment in which they are can play a role. Um, Are you in an organization that has a sense of psychological safety where people are encouraged to be more authentic or not? Because that's gonna play a role too. I mean, I was just talking to a client last week who, felt like that wasn't really something that was supported in her environment. And so she didn't know how much of that that she could do. Um, And, you know, there's been research that suggests that I think about a third of people in um, at least in North America feel like they have to, I guess, suppress themselves a little bit and can't be authentic in their environment. And I think the downside of that is that it can really create a sense of disconnection or even like dissonance where you feel like you can't be who you are and you know that doesn't feel good and I think it also can make you feel lonely because you know we all know this instance of loneliness is more than just not having people around you it also kind of feels like you're not truly being seen and so if you're not feeling like you can be authentic um you're in a position where you don't feel like you can't be seen Um, And so I think that, I know it's really long winded response, but authenticity is kind of a deep topic, I think. Yes, (laughs)
0: yes.
1: (laughs) But, um, so I think like in terms of how you can start to go about being more authentic in the workplace, um, I think one thing is just getting in touch with your values. Like what's important to me, how can I express that in the workplace in ways that, you know, the workplace that I'm in can handle, but that will also allow me to feel like I'm expressing who I am. I think it can also come from just taking small steps. So, if you're someone who tends to be private, for example, maybe share a little more. Like, if someone asks you, What did you do over the weekend? Instead of saying, Oh, you know, just hung out with family or something like that, maybe you could give a little bit more details just so that you seem more accessible and you can build your relationships. Um, I think just being present, honestly, can help a lot in terms of being more authentic. Like, just that. I guess, intangible connection that you feel when someone is truly attending to you and holding space for you, I think is something helpful. Um, And I think, you know, the reality is if your workplace doesn't allow a lot of it, then you can also just find other outlets where you can be authentic. But I think, you know, people often think of authenticity as an all or nothing sort of thing where... Either I let it all hang out or I'm showing a facade. And I think that there are degrees of authenticity that are appropriate. I mean, I'm not going to talk about the same things at work as I would with the significant other, but it's just really, I think, allowing different aspects of yourself to be shown in the workplace and really taking, you know, the interpersonal risk to be a little bit vulnerable, you know, admit when you make mistakes, all of those sorts of things I think can be really helpful in terms of being more authentic at work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think there is, you use the word that sometimes it's scary to have that, and even these incremental shifts of mm-hmm. being even a little more open or sharing a little bit more about your weekend or just being a little bit more yourself. Um, what do you, where do you think, maybe this is going to be a too broad of a question or yeah. we can't put a blanket statement over everyone, uh-huh. but do you notice a commonality of where that fear stems from oftentimes?
1: Um, so. That is a pretty broad question, but I I would say one element that I think is pretty consistent is a fear of rejection. Like if I put myself out as my real self, how are people going to respond to that? And so in some ways not being authentic is a way of protecting yourself to some degree. I think it really has to do with is it safe to do that here and will I be accepted and validated for doing that? I think at the core they probably all come down
0: to that. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen that as well. And when I think of a lot of the clients that I work with are transitioning or end up transitioning to their own work and being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur and business owner and being authentic in, in even making that decision to pursue that um, and the weight of rejection not only on if you're an entrepreneur it kind of becomes that line between what's work and what's myself blends (laughs) and so it's like rejection of my idea but also rejection of me um, rejection of like income and stability you mentioned safety I think all of that is wrapped up Um, so do you have any Any go-to activities or perspectives or uh, strategies that can help leaders and can help um, individuals within companies and outside of companies to help help with that notion or that fear of rejection?
1: Yeah, so I think again, I mean I guess this is a, a theme that keeps coming up a lot. It's the small steps, right. Because I think that a lot of times we have fears that are maybe grounded more in our own stuff than in how people are actually going to respond to us. And so I think in some ways you're able to, it's kind of like a phobia, like if you never test it out by getting close to the balloon, you learn that the balloon's not going to hurt you. But if you, you know, always avoid it, then you never get to experience that. And so I think through the small steps, you can learn, number one, that maybe you're catastrophizing how people might respond to you. And so that can give you more confidence that you might not get rejected. I think through the small step, you can also learn that you can tolerate the discomfort that comes with putting yourself out and challenging yourself in a new way. Um, You know, When I decided to be an entrepreneur, I knew it was going to be a stretch for me because I'm inherently introverted, but I knew that I would have to put myself out more just because otherwise no one would know I existed. And so, um, you know, part of it is kind of like feeling, I guess, you know, feeling the discomfort, but just doing it anyway, because it's important to you. And so, um, you know, I talked about tying into your values earlier. And I think that that's another important piece of it. Like, what are my values? Is it important to me to get myself out there or to share my gifts with the world? Or would I rather let other people's potential judgment that I don't even know is real or not Really affect me from being all that I was meant to be. And a lot of times for people, that can be really helpful. Or I'll say, you know, what would you tell your child if they were coming to you with a similar issue? And that one often hits really close to home, uh, especially for people who are parents, because, um, you know, they want to set a good example for their children and they, you know, really want to be someone that they can look up to. And so that can often be something that also motivates them to at least try
0: yeah absolutely. That notion of the stories we have in our mind are so powerful, <laughs> mm-hmm. and oftentimes a fallacy. They oftentimes are not the truth. And, like you said, taking small steps to step to test them out doesn't mean we have to jump all in because we know that they're not probably not true. Um, mm-hmm. but taking a little small step of like like you said, touching the balloon or like letting yourself even look at it and be like. <laughs> right is it, is it that scary? (laughs) Um, is it really here to attack me? Um, and something else you talked about was this idea of, um, Uh, sorry, lost lost for words, transitioning things from one place of your life to another. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned taking a step outside of yourself with, for instance, children. Um, And I've seen this also just last week in my group program, someone was sharing that she did a workout program and didn't think she'd be able to make it through the sequence that's repeated each time. And eventually she did. And the day that she did make it through, it was like, I can achieve anything and right. transferring that to whenever she feels scared to say I can do anything because I did that 90 second plank and it was a really beautiful moment and a really beautiful example of we can take these elements whether it's thinking about our children whether it's thinking about you know what would our friend say or, or how would we advise someone that we care about um, or like even the balloon analogy the balloon metaphor of mm-hmm. you know it's not scary what would I do to get to know this thing that I know isn't scary and then using that in a situation where there's emotions or or, you know, other things that can make it seem more complicated than it actually needs to be.
1: Yeah, and I th- would say the other thing is at the, I mean, think of someone who inspires you, and I dare you to find someone who inspires you who's done great things, who has never had any haters, or who has never experienced failure. I mean, usually, you know, mediocrity is maybe a safe space to be, but if you really want to achieve, you kind of need to expect that there are gonna be people who aren't happy with that, but just accept that as part of the territory in a way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And a line I like to use with my clients is, and then what would happen? So Mm -hmm. let's say you get a bad review, and then what would happen? And oftentimes you follow that down and it's like, well, nothing. Right, exactly. (laughs) Nothing would really happen. Maybe it would hurt, and to respect that and honor that, and Mm -hmm. like you're gonna be okay, you're gonna be okay. Right, absolutely. So as I said earlier on, and we, we work in a little bit different way with positive psychology in this realm, you're often in businesses and corporations working with leaders. I'm often with individuals who are becoming the leader of their own life. Mm-hmm. And so what advice would you give that idea of transferring that you often help leaders within a corporation that you might give to a leader who's becoming a leader of their own life and their own business?
1: Yeah. So I would, I mean, and having been through that process myself, I feel like I can really speak to it. Absolutely. Um, So I would say the first thing is just to develop a deep understanding of your strengths as well as your areas of opportunity. And, you know, as you're setting up your business, really try to capitalize on your strengths. Um, If you're in a position to delegate out your weaknesses and try to do that, but, you know, we're not always, especially just getting started in a position to do that. And so I would say if you can't delegate them out, then really try to create a plan so that you can make yourself accountable whether it's you know building instructors and processes to help you along or getting a coach who can hold you accountable. Um, I think something else is really like owning your position as the boss. And I know that that was something that took me a while to really get used to. I mean, even something small like Managing my schedule, I would manage it the way that clients wanted it as opposed to the way that I wanted to, even though I could now kind of be the boss. And so, just really um, owning that you get to make the decisions to have your business the way that you want to run it. um, And the way that, and I think also just like owning that position helps you to show up in a different way and really embody yourself as a boss. Um, And I would say be willing to challenge yourself um, and kind of just do what it takes. So, like I said, I had to kind of challenge my introversion, I guess, and challenge my beliefs about making myself visible. And I will say that I've grown much more being my own boss than when I worked for someone else just because I knew that I would have to really face these sorts of things in order to be successful. Um, And then the last thing I would say is just have a really good stress management arsenal because it is stressful to work for somebody else, but it can be stressful to work for yourself too. It's just different kinds of stresses. And there's stresses that I don't mind because I feel like I have greater autonomy and control. But all the same, I mean, I still have stress at time. and need to be able to manage that too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's all wonderful advice. Um, and and owning that space is a challenge that I often see and have experienced too, like you shared, mm-hmm. you experienced as well. Um, and oftentimes because it's like this um, unseen, like, like I don't even realize I'm doing it. Um, and then it comes to the surface and they're like, Oh wait, that's not how I wanted my schedule to be. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The process of like unveiling those things one by one. Um, and yeah, really taking ownership and doing what it takes for you. And that's different for everyone to, Mm -hmm. to own that space and to own what you're doing and to celebrate yourself. Um, so I actually want to close with each of us celebrating something about ourselves. your celebration? I'd love to hear what yours is.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's an interesting question. Okay. Um, I guess the one thing I would like to own and celebrate about myself is just my resilience, Um, especially through COVID. I mean, I've gone through so many transitions of like remote schooling my son and trying to manage my schedule to still get stuff done and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, there've been ups and downs, but I feel like we're in a smooth state now. And so I want to own the fact that I've been resilient through all of this.
0: Amazing. Congratulations for that. (laughs) (laughs) And I saw your whole face light up when you said that too. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
1: definitely. What about you?
0: I would like to celebrate that I am finally have found this place of feeling excited about the uncertainty that's coming before me. Um, And that took a lot of work with my own coach. Whereas before I was like, I want the plan and I (laughs) I want it laid out. Um, And I've, I've fallen into um, this, this excitement about what's coming, even though I still don't necessarily have a plan besides trust my intuition. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. and go forward with that. Um, but yeah, I'm celebrating that I'm, I'm excited in this, even without a plan, especially without a plan.
1: That's awesome, I think that the journey is a fun part of it. If you can really own that and not need the destination, I think that's kind of like the secret of life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was such a fun time talking with you today. I I was so honored to bring you on and to hear more about your story and to see your authentic self. And I really hope that we stay connected. Um, Anyone who's listening, who's watching, where can they reach out to connect with you? Yeah.
1: So you can find me on my website at silverliningpsychology.com. I'll say that again because it's silverliningpsychology, all one word.com. And you can find out about my services and then different online courses that I offer, stuff like that. So I'd love to see you there.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your Monday and keep celebrating how amazing you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.